Hey, everybody, this is Corey Dion Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project podcast. Now, before you listen to this great interview, I'd like to talk to you about my new community health conference series, My City, My Health. Uh, The My City, My Health conference presented by The Healthy Project will educate the audience about what health and community advocates are doing to improve the health of the most vulnerable and underserved in our communities. There will be multiple panels discussing topics around culture and healthcare, mental health prevention, and how we're collaborating with community-based organizations to really make a difference in our community. If you want to learn more about this in-person and virtual experience, you can go to mycity.health. If you want to have this conference in your city, email me, Corey at thehealthyproject.co and we could talk more about how we could have a my city my health experience in your city talking to the health and community leaders in your city about what you can do to improve the health of the people in your city again thank you for supporting the healthy project this is okay but then yet tell them and if you want more, and that, that goes to, you know, a, a thought I have of making your world bigger or certainly not letting your world get smaller. The individual, as you go, as you age, as you get older, um, what did you do in high school? What did you do post high school into your adult years? Is your world actually starting to get smaller? Hey, what's up? This is Corey Dion Lewis, clinical health coach and host of the Healthy Project podcast. Now, the research shows that social determinants can have a greater impact on your health more than healthcare or lifestyle choices. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss how to improve health and reduce health inequity by speaking to healthcare professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs. Now, if you're enjoying the podcast, give it a review, or you can also make a donation to The Healthy Project using the link in the description. It takes 30 seconds and it's super easy. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. Um, I have an exciting guest in the building today. I have Dr. Stephen Loy. He's the uh, founder of Three Wins Fitness, uh, professor. Um, I'm super excited to talk to him about you know physical activity and and all things about it. So, um, Dr. Loy, thank you so much for uh, being on the show with me today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate the offer. Yeah, no problem. Well, you know, before we get into the topic at hand, uh, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what wakes you up in the morning? Okay, um, I'm an exercise physiologist by training, uh, by my education, and. The first uh, third of my career was spent in the laboratory, I think very typical of an exercise physiologist, whatever it is that we are specifically trained in, but mine was in the laboratory and I was looking at uh, and evaluating what types of exercise, how much people needed to do relative to improving their performance. So the performance of regular people was my objective. Um, What I translate that into for uh, the audience that is into exercise physiology is VO2 max, uh, the the ability to consume maximum oxygen consumption, and how fast can you translate that into an endurance event? So that was um, that first third. In 
In 2008, the first edition of the Physical Activity Guidelines came out, and it became clear that uh, life wasn't strictly about performance. It wasn't strictly about athletes and athletics and their performance. Um, maybe not at all, uh, that it was maybe more of a health and um, focus on what we could do as a population. But in 2008, what they were saying then was that uh, the majority of the population was not doing the minimum to stay healthy. So in part in my career, I'm looking at the maximum people need to do to increase their performance. But our challenge as a country uh, was that we weren't doing the minimum and it was a lot of people that weren't doing the minimum. And so um, what that illustrated to me, I think at that point was I should, I should change my perspective. I should perhaps combine the perspective because if you in fact do more, uh, than the minimum, uh, the benefits are even greater. So there's some bridge that has to be um, made and has to be connected. So uh, the last two thirds of my career then has had its focus more on then what does the public, what does the average person need to do to stay healthy? Um, but yet at the same point in time, uh, this kind of leads to the question you have of, of what gets me up in the morning. Uh, I, I get up, I do my exercise, I do have a debate with myself. Um, <laughs> is today a healthy day or is today a fit day? Uh, and it depends. Uh, healthy, I know I can do the minimum and I can still receive benefits. Uh, but that uh, if I do want to do something that requires performance, and I have to work a little bit harder. So that's the ongoing debate. And the goal is to at least get out there um, and, and get the minimum in. Um, following that, really, then it's about teaching the students. It's about... Um, going to the university or going to our three wins fitness program and helping our students educate them. Uh, there was that realization a long time ago that if there was any change that I was going to try and implement, that it wasn't going to be a one person change. Uh, it was not going to change my community, the world uh, by myself, but that with students, uh, with the educating of students, you know, hundreds, over the years and certainly within a given semester uh, that the effect that they could have if they understood what it is that I was trying to convey to them, then perhaps the outreach would be much, much greater. So I would say really um, what gets me up in the morning is knowing I get to go to the university, I get to teach and I get, get to make a difference. Oh, that's, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, I first heard about three wins through Cedric Bryant with the, the American uh, Council on Exercise. And it really got me thinking about the the role exercise has not only in um, individual health, but as a population health strategy or a public health strategy. So you know, at least my, my first question to you is, is why? You know, why is physical activity, uh, should is it, why should it be a public health priority? Well, it's funny that you mentioned Cedric because uh... He actually was in that first third of my career mm. um, and we were doing um, exercise on stair climbing and how we could uh, use stair climbing. He was uh, with Stairmaster at the time and how could we use stair climbing to improve um, fitness. But then what that got into was um, doing some exercise with the older population at that point and saying, OK, what is it that they could do that would improve their um, daily lives? Um, improve their health at the same time. But yet I could use that same mode of exercise on a younger population and 
and work them very hard and increase their fitness. So you know, why is it so important? Why is public health or physical activity a public health priority? I, I think, you know, you, you, you reach a certain age and then you start to listen to commercials that are different, right? Mm-hmm. You, you got the commercials that, that, you know, tout this medicine does this and does this. And then there's this old laundry list of side effects um, that you have to be careful of. Uh, when you take that medicine, even though it has, you know, miraculous benefits on the other side. But with physical activity, there's uh, virtually no side effects, no things that we need to worry about. So this is then, and, you know, ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, certainly has adopted the exercises medicine approach. And that is that uh, we can do something, we can increase our physical activity, and we can change for the positive. Uh, we can improve our health. We can recognize that we have to do a lot less than we originally thought. Uh, back again in the early days, it was uh, a very prescribed amount of exercise that you had to do at a certain intensity to get benefit. But that was the benefit for performance. Mm, but now right. to stay healthy, it's much less the the guidelines from the physical activity guidelines are the minimum is 30 minutes a day, most days of the week. So about 150 minutes of exercise. Uh, the intensity is moderate. Moderate can be um, interpreted as walking, um, could be interpreted as vacuuming, although most of us don't vacuum uh, the house every day. Uh, but many of what we look at as our activities of daily living, if we do them, they can become part of that physical activity. The challenge is, is that um, even on my block that I live on, nobody washes their car. They take it to the car wash. Um, nobody does their gardening. They have someone do it for them. Um, I'm the only one that is out there toiling in the garden. And so, you know, physical activity has kind of been taken out of our lives for a variety of reasons, some technological, uh, some convenience. And uh, we need to find ways to put it back in. And, you know, it's, it's a 33% reduction, that minimum I talked about. It's a 33% reduction in all-cause mortality. Um, if people care about it, it's $117 billion of, of cost related to healthcare. And, and we know that if those healthcare costs are going up, we all pay some kind of price on that with, with insurance. So. This is something that we can engage in that can affect people's lives, uh, the quality of their lives, the quantity of their lives, and no side benefits, no, or I should say not benefits, no side or ill effects, lots of side benefits. Right, right. Just, just no, um, there, there's no small print of if you, if you exercise for 40 minutes, you know, you'll experience diarrhea or die. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. That is correct. That would be the worst on a run. Right. Right. So, you know, what, um, what I, what I've noticed about people's is it, is it the mentality when, when we say exercise for most people that, you know, we, we, some people think about gardening or, you know, parking further away before you go in the grocery store and they don't really equate that with exercise or being active. Is it, is it the, I hate to say it is, is it the marketing of the fitness industry that makes people feel like some of these things that they currently maybe be doing, isn't really helping, isn't benefiting their health. 
Yeah, I, I think we're we're so influenced by social media uh, coming at us in any variety of ways, um, even the magazines at the checkout counter at the grocery store and what you see. So what that, that visual of what you see um, is your interpretation, perhaps, of what exercise is. Um, and then there's that differentiation of the terms exercise versus physical activity. And that, uh, you know, physical activity became a more common term um, as my career has proceeded. Uh, in the beginning, it was exercise. I'm an exercise physiologist, right? I'm not a mm -hmm. physical activity um, person. And so I think the change has occurred, but there's also a whole generation of people that um, had physical education in the schools. And I suppose if you go down the line and ask people what their interpretation or what their remembrances are of physical education, I'm going to guess it's probably um, running and exercise. Um, right. It's changed more recently, uh, but at the same point in time, the the amount of physical education that is offered in the schools is not what it needs to be either. So it starts to be, um, I think, confusing. But I also think as a profession, uh, we have not done a good job of marketing what it is that we need to do and how we need to do it and how to make it available for people and to say, hey, this is okay. This is okay. But then yet tell them, and if you want more, and that, that goes to, you know, a, a thought I have of making your world bigger or certainly not letting your world get smaller, uh, that uh, the individual, as you go, as you age, as you get older, um, what did you do in high school? What did you do post high school into your adult years? Uh, is your world actually starting to get smaller? Mm. And how much of that is related to exercise or physical activity. Um, illustration I give in the classroom is that, you know, there are some people in the class here who we know uh, what they do for their exercise, their physical activity. And, uh, you know, if they call you up on the phone and say, hey, what are you doing Saturday? You kind of have this picture in your mind that, okay, this guy is going to go out on a long run or they're going to go on this crazy hike and do you want to do that? That's what your perception is. Okay. And so um, do you answer the phone? Number one, because we have caller ID. Nope. <laughs> right. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's Corey. Eh, you know, I, I don't think I want to do that. Uh, and so you, your world's getting smaller automatically because you're not engaging in that. And then at some point, Corey, you're going to uh, stop calling me. Because you know I'm always right. going to say no or not going to pick up. And now, even though I don't know it, my world is getting smaller and you're helping it get smaller. And so I become afraid to do certain things. And so because I don't have the fitness um, or if you take it further down the road to an individual that is older, um, they're worried about falling. They're worried about their safety. And so how big do you want your world to be? I think that becomes largely related to the physical activity you engage in. So I think our messaging needs to change so that people start to understand um, it's about what you get to do and what you want to do and how long you get to do that. Right. I think it's the saying, um, a body in motion stays in motion, kind of, kind of a thing. And if, I mean, I know that I know there's more to it, but, um, 
I mean, you, I know you see it a lot as we get older and I, and I, and I will say that there are, I have those fights the same as you, where it's like you, you're, you got kids, you're, you're busy. And it's like, you don't feel like you have enough time to, to fit it in, to fit that exercise in, to fit that, or that physical activity. But to, I, to your point, it's like, well, now, now after hearing what you said, making your world smaller, I think that's a great analogy of, you know, if I, if I don't do these preventative measures now, it's going to, it's going to get small before you know it. Well, look, look down the road, right? I'm sure you have relatives, um, older Mm -hmm. people in your family and is their world now their apartment? Yeah. Um, There was one um, individual when we were doing our online program and she said that she did her walking and I said, Oh, where do you go? And she says, around my living room. I said, you walk for 30 minutes around your living room. And she said, yes, you know, this, this is the size of my world right now. So that then gets into the whole built environment and things being safe in your community. And that's a greater conversation that has to be heard. But um, I don't imagine that um, any of us consider that that's going to be the size of our world at some point. Right. Right. So can tell us a little bit I, I know you, you kind of started talking about it in the beginning and how your view went from, you know, um, performance in people and then talk thinking more community based, more population health when it comes to exercise. Can you tell us a little bit more about three wins, how 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 it works, how it functions right now? The um, the I guess the creation of that program evolved from the classroom. So I taught a research and exercise physiology class, and I would go over the uh, physical activity guidelines starting in 2008. And prior to that, I had been talking to them about uh, the exercise people need to do and what they need to engage in. And that we had this 75% of the population was not doing the minimum, uh, meaning that that 30 minutes a day, moderate intensity, and a couple of days of uh, strength training, which was... um, I won't say it was foreign to the student population because um, over my career, they have gotten more sedentary as time has has gone on. Uh, they don't exercise as much as they did earlier uh, in times. Uh, again, that goes perhaps to physical education, that goes to society. But um, I would pose that question to them because I would say, okay, look at these 2008 physical activity guidelines. Uh, look at, there's the solution here. And uh, the research has been accomplished, which has identified what are the challenges of physical inactivity? Uh, Why do we need to do it? How much do we need to do? Here's the solution. And um, so as I look at it from a a perspective of someone who teaches, um, I do research, I teach, and my generation then has seemingly been successful but seemingly failed in that we've identified the solution, but clearly it's not being implemented. And so as I look at you in the classroom here, uh, I believe that's your challenge. We have failed to, to implement, to make change in the population in terms of population physical activity. What are you going to do about it? Because on the train that we are on at this point, it's only going to get worse. And so what are you going to do about it? And so for years, uh, 
yeah, no, no real response. And um, I thought, well, you know, what's my responsibility here? Uh, if my responsibility is to teach and to help them understand what they need to do um, to make themselves health healthier, their families or the community, um, what do you need to do and why aren't you doing it? And like I say, a few years that would go on. And I have a uh, saying in my office that it's tell me and I forget. Uh, it's been attributed to many people. Teach me and I remember. Okay, so I'm kind of like at the first two at this point. Uh, the third is involve me and I understand. And so it was that third piece that was telling me, okay, maybe they don't know what to do. Maybe I'm telling them, I'm talking to them, but they don't know what to do. And so I said, well, let's go create a program in the community. You know, we'll call it 100 Citizens at that time. Now it's Three Wins Fitness. Uh, and the idea there was that we'll create a program where you can apply your education and we can get a benefit. Um, we can start to understand how to implement a solution and see what the problems are that we have to address out there. So that was the, um, the inertia that pushed it forward was taking the classroom out to the community, uh, getting some benefit. And it was intended initially to be this three month program to show this particular group of students. And at the end of that three months, a, a few of the participants came up to me and said, um, so what's next? And, you know, this is our, our, our challenge as a university. Oftentimes we go out, we do our research, gather our 12 weeks of data, and then, you know, it's time to leave. And I said, I'd never been confronted directly with, so what are you going right. to do next? And it was that, uh, well, we could continue this. Now, at this time, we had um, a set of resistance bands, and we had, we, this was done in a park. So it was done in a park, and um, we had benches, we had tables, the park, and playground equipment. And I said, well, you know, I don't have any money. Um, I didn't have any money to begin with. We just came out there and, and did stuff. Right. And uh, I said, we can continue this. And um, that was the beginning of that. And that realization that um, this was a community, underserved community, um, less exposed to what it is that they had to do. You know, first question or first observation is, yeah, I think you need to get some new shoes. Uh, those shoes are, are really worn out. And if we're going to start walking or whatever it is we're doing. So it was this understanding that despite all the knowledge that was out there um, and available, it was not being conveyed to the community. And uh, so building upon that, then it was this realization that, okay, just like in the classroom, um, I can only affect so many people. What if we had these students out here? How many could they affect? And at that time, uh, we were at 2,600 students in our major. So in, in our kinesiology major, in a university approaching 40,000, we are the second largest department in the, in the university. And so what could, if we could build a program and start to tap into the you know, 2,000 students, what kind of benefit could we have? And, and then you get all these dreams of uh, grandeur of, wow, yeah, 
You know, if we had mm -hmm. 2,000 students and we did this here um, in the San Fernando Valley, uh, if you take the population as a whole within the valley, you're talking about the fifth largest city in the United States. And we from one university could serve all of these people. So that that was then, you know, the, the dreams were starting to pop up. And then right. and if not, if not just in our university, the CSU, the Cal State University system has 21 kinesiology departments. What if they all had one? Right. And um, so that kind of started to feel that movement of, well, let's start to expand a little bit. Let's get a little bit bigger. And so the fast forward, um, the, the name now is Three Winds Fitness. And the three wins are number one, which is a priority for me, is uh, student professional development, student education and professional development. But certainly of equal benefit then is uh, the individual's fitness in the community. And from that, then community fitness. And it, it, this was something that was sort of uh, revealed to me when I, I spoke to our chair at one point and she said, you know, you, you don't really know what you're doing out there. You just do it because it's intuition. It's intuitive. Uh, could you explain what you do out there? Because you always say, hey, this could be replicated. It's easy to do. But do you know what you're doing out there? And, and it was that, that question, which, which I was kind of insulted at first. It was like, what do you mean I don't know what I'm doing? Um, <laughs> but it was the ability to, to translate that. In. And that translation was that if you do three wins or more, if you seek three wins or more in everything that you do, uh, the result is greater. The product is more beneficial. And so that was then a, a teachable moment for our students as well, I think, is that, you know, seek three wins in everything you do, not just in three wins fitness, but in everything you do, and things will be better. The win-win uh, only goes so far. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's you and me here. This is a win-win, our having this conversation, but you share it with a greater audience. And so that becomes that third win, and now it's much, much larger. Mm, mm, we're impacting more lives as as that goes and maybe they can create their own three wins by sharing mm -hmm. it and or doing whatever they do in their community that's that's awesome so um during that process what were some um i don't want to say losses but what were some learning moments that the, maybe the students recognize you recognize as you're trying to um improve the health of this community and um what were there any unique um, situations that uh, that pertain to the community? I think it, you know, as we went into this particular um, area of the valley, the Northeast Valley, um, primarily Spanish speaking community, uh, the city of San Fernando, where we started the program was, um, I think the population is about 80 percent uh, Latino. And so um, in going into that community, one of the challenges were was that uh, the majority of our students didn't speak Spanish. Uh, it was about a third that could speak Spanish. Uh, we're still at about that same percentage that of the students that do go out with me. Um, it's a third that speaks Spanish. Our population of the department as a whole is greater than a third. And so that was a challenge was saying, okay, you have the knowledge. Uh, how do you communicate this? And one of our students actually, and he talked to me and he said, you know, it's really frustrating um, as a deaf person 
to not be able to hear uh, the verbal instructions, the cueing that you you say is so important for our students to learn, telling people how to do things, you know, do that squat per- correctly, keeping the right form. And uh, he, he Ellis, you know, said, let's try some nonverbal and got to do bigger motions. Uh, you got to do more gesticulations to your body uh, to get people to see what it is that they need to do. Uh, because he said, you know, and he was absolutely right. Um, a person who can't understand English um, is very different or very similar to a, a deaf person at that point. They can't understand what you're saying. Right. And so those are the challenges in terms of communication, which goes back to that professional development of our students and that the soft skills, uh, the communication skills are so critical. Mm-hmm. And yet we don't teach them in the university. Uh, we don't practice them on a regular basis. You may go up and give a presentation, but it's typically a one and done. And there's not a lot of critique and constructive criticism and let you come back and let me try it again. But with three wins and you're going out there and you're you're doing this on a regular basis, you're talking to people who may or may not understand you. Uh, you're talking to different populations of age. Uh, you may be I know when I went to college, uh, you know, I didn't go home um, as often as I should. And also the older population was, in our family was dying was that, you know, I didn't interact with an older person very much. And so I, I lost that skill uh, because there's a difference in, in speaking yeah. to different people in different generations. So those soft skills became really important to develop. And that was not. The original, you know, the professional development was was leadership, uh, was ability to be able to to truly critical think. Not, you know, the university oftentimes we we graduate people who are critical thinkers. Well, exactly what does that mean? You know, your ability right. to go out and have a problem and critically think the solution and and identify what could be implemented. So now the professional development was starting to take on nuances. Um, as we grew the program from one location uh, to eventually six and even greater um, with ACES uh, contribution. That's where I reconnected with Cedric. Uh, I said, we can run this program on a daily basis without external funds, but expanding the program um, does require some assistance. And, and Cedric and ACE came in with that. Uh, but that was, a, that was a challenge to communicate with people a challenge then to open up a different, um, another branch, so to speak, and have leaders, okay, I am not going to be there now. Um, you are the leaders. This is truly a student-led program. Um, you're going to get responsibilities and you're going to have to implement them. I'll pop in and out. But as we have six locations um, that are on different days, I can't be there all the time. And so now this is what you know, 100 citizens or three wins fitness has become is it's student led, it's student delivered, um, students conduct the training. And uh, one of the things that brought it to mind early on was uh, they said, uh, what do we need to do with students who don't come on time? I said, well, what do you want to do? And (laughs) they, they implemented a three strikes rule, meaning that, okay, you know, you, you make you're late or you don't do something you're supposed to do, then you get a strike. And 
And what happens with three strikes? They're out, you know? And I said, well, that, that's, that might be a little harsh. Um, <laughs> but yet at the same point, now they were getting the experiences. Okay, we're in charge. Um, we are feeling the effects of someone not doing their job. Uh, what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen? And, you know, that worked pretty well. Um, they delivered it. The second strike was that they did have, the student did have to come and see me, which, you know, now, now I'm in a completely different role now. Right. Right. So um, a lot of these skills, uh, we didn't do research early on because our goal was make the program work. And, you know, if you go in with a research protocol, uh, you go through your institutional review board, it's got to be a certain way, just this way. And as things came up, we wouldn't be able to change if we were doing this as a research model. So the idea was to, you know, create a program that would work, um, create a program that, you know, could be sustained. Uh, it could be delivered by students and students would grow. And of course, I, I knew this was coming, but, you know, it's that reality that always hits me when I get involved with students and, and projects is that um, as soon as they become trained and valuable, they leave. Right, which is, right. Which is, you know, that's that's the opposite of the business model. You train people to stay and grow in the organization. Well, here the growth is fast. You come in as an intern, then you become an instructor and you move up. Um, they created the titles because I said, you know, create the titles you want to put on your resume, right? Right. So create pro program manager, program director. Um, and uh, but as soon as they reach that level, they graduate. So. Now is this rapid turnover of talking to them about, okay, succession, that there has to be, you have to build in succession. You have to train the person who's going to take your place. So these all become real life experiences uh, that, that actually kind of occur um, just, just granularly. It, it, it doesn't something that we, we focused on initially, but became obvious that these are the things that you have to change. And, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do was replicability, but my comments to those that have chosen to replicate the program is that this is the basic infrastructure, but your situation is going to pro probably require you to do things a little bit different. And you should know that, that you have the absolute right to do what will work in your particular community, but this is the basic infrastructure. And that is that, that students can do this. If given the responsibility right. and some guidance and some support, um, they can do it. Right. And it's an experience that they will you won't get in a classroom or in a lecture. And that can take you way beyond your years past past college. Yeah, you'll never get you'll never get the quantity and the quality and the type of experiences that we talk about. Right, right. So you, you talked about um, you have the foundation of the three wins, but, you know, it may be different depending on the community. Um, but what are some of those characteristics of a good community based exercise program? As I, I mentioned, the, the first program was was actually built around built in equipment. I had spoken to the city of San Fernando. They had some money left and I said, let's put in some fixed equipment. And at least if we do that, people will see that there's something happening here. Uh, we had no money, uh, but the city of San Fernando was willing to buy us some resistance bands. Um, and so we went with that as our, our primary equipment. And uh, 
then it was starting to occur to me that, okay, we have a free program, but quality is important. Um, free does not mean cheap and not using the latest equipment and education. And so what equipment could we start to implement into the program that would then give evidence to the people who are coming to the program or the people driving by that, hey, there's this free program, but they're using the same equipment that uh, you know the personal trainer uses or they use at the, the big box gym. And the benefit of getting that relationship with the city of San Fernando was that uh, it created a whole new opportunity for them. Uh, they were able to say, hey, let's offer some other classes. There's the free one, three wins, but let's offer some others and we can offer them at a low cost. Uh, they could be taught by our students. So now our students were gaining employment at the park. Um, and that was another goal was to you know, get people to understand who kinesiology was and, and create job opportunities. But that created a revenue stream, a new revenue stream for the park. And they said, well, let's take that revenue stream and start to buy equipment for the free program. So we had the, the battle ropes. We had the TRXs start to come into play that now made this program the same as the, as the gym, which cost money. And so key was quality of education. So, you know, the latest information that students were receiving in school, they would be applying out there. We would have the equipment that would allow then uh, the participants to maximize their participation. Uh, the second was that um, it must be available, and that was the origins of going to the public parks. Uh, I had a colleague at uh, Rand Corporation, Deb Cohen, um, who has done a lot of research on the parks, and you know the indication was the parks were underutilized for physical activity. Typically, were used maybe for picnicking, family gatherings, but not really for exercise. And, you know, being a kinesiology exercise physiologist, our challenge has always been, where do we do things at? You know, wh who has the facilities that we could use? Who right. has the equipment that we could use? So um, availability, public parks, underutilized, uh, again, that it would be affordable, which in this case was free. And that's a concept people still have a difficulty getting um, understanding of is how can you offer a free program? with this quality. And that goes back then to sort of the sustainability element, which is the students delivering the program. Students are on either academic internships or volunteering, and they offer the program. So that allows us to keep the program going year after year, because we're in year 11 now. And uh, that purposeful decision not to, ex uh, to, to explore the external funding so that we could keep it going um, was key because mm. in terms of replicability, if I got a half million dollar grant to run the program, then nobody would be able to replicate it. They'd say, I have to get a half million dollar grant. Oh, but if I right. tell them that I, I've got no external funding, we've been running it for 11 years, you can replicate this and we'll show you how, and you can start with no equipment. And that was uh, certainly emphasized um, by the uh, pandemic in our coming back this uh, past fall is that we came back and we came back equipmentless uh, because of the uh, sanitizing procedures necessary at that point in time. And so, well, how could we run a program without equipment? Well, we've done this before. Um, we can do this again. And uh, 
So it's quality, it's availability, it's affordability, uh, replicability elsewhere um, at any university. We've got 700 uh, plus kinesiology exercise science programs in the country. And then this creation of a family, uh, family amongst our students, our students saw that they could make friends. Very, mm. very difficult sometimes um, in a, a university where you're walking in and out of classes and really not talking to each other. Uh, we could have a family of the participants who are from the community, but maybe don't know each other, but now right. they know each other. And then what we've seen is the, the familial bond between the student and the participant. And that was important. That first uh, sort of Christmas holiday before the end of that fall semester, uh, the participants said that they wanted to have a barbecue um, and that they would do it. Um, and this was their appreciation to the students. And I think for the students who are not receiving any pay, um, getting some academic credit, it was that seeing of the appreciation that these individuals had for what it is that they were doing for them um, has created that bond. Uh, the participants, we have several who have been with us for the 11 years. Mm. And, you know, that they, they said, you know, at first we were, we were kind of sad when students left um, because we got, you know, they, they, they were their hija, they were their, you know, grandchild. And, uh, but then they said, but then new ones come in and they have new energy um, <laughs> and they teach us different things. And so then they saw the benefit. And so now they have a, a taste perhaps of what I see is students come, students go, some students come back um, and you have a reunion, but it is this bond that gets formed in, a, in an environment where, again, you're talking to people, um, you're getting to know them. Um, the name tags are important so that you can get to know um, who they are. And uh, all of that, that family bond and, and that creation of community, which I think is critical to uh, in people engaging in exercise or physical activity is right. other people are doing like-minded activities. Right. So that, so that leads some, to my, to my next question, uh, Dr. Loy, you had, you had briefly talked about how you and, and the students had to had kind of, kind of pivot your, your program due to the, the pandemic and go without the equipment. So can you uh, kind of talk me through one, what was that? What was that like as far as being understanding the, the benefits of physical activity? Now we have this pandemic and the, the benefits of activity in this program and how that kind of changed. And, and also, you know, um, your, your, your call to action for um, professionals in, um, you know, in fitness, in uh, kinesiology, in yourself, that call to action to, to make that change. Can you walk me through that? So we're talking March 2020, right? And, mm -hmm. and things seem to be getting a little more serious with this pandemic. And uh, we were probably a week ahead of the county in saying we were going to stop the program. And uh, I honestly thought it was going to be a month. And so I said, you know, we're, we're going to end the program. We'll get back to you um, when we when we start the program. Clearly, it went longer and it was that was March. And so around April, May, I thought, OK, we, we're doing too much right that we can't just stop. Again, the students are going to miss out on that benefit as we start to shift into a virtual uh, situation. 
So it was taking on the students at that point in time and, and saying, uh, we're going to go virtual. We're going to go virtual. One of the things I try and teach them also is that when, when things get difficult or there are reasons for everyone to stop doing things, this is when you have to make your move. This is when you have the opportunity to actually get ahead of the curve when everyone else is making excuses of why they shouldn't do things. And so we did go virtual and we said, but you have to package this. You have to market it in a way that's palatable. And that was, okay, now we're going to be out for at least a year, I think. Let's go 365, 365 journey to health. And if we're going to do that, then let's take the opportunity to go way back um, to the basics and say, can you get down to the ground and can you get back up? And surprising how many people have difficulty getting down, getting up, particularly as you get older. And so that was one of our first exercise programs is getting down and getting back up safely and identifying all the muscle groups and things that had to be stronger to help you get up safely, to help you get up. And uh, so we, we did that and we said, reach out to your family and friends, let them know about this program. Uh, we'll use Instagram, we'll use Facebook. And we ended up with a fairly different audience, much further away than we had ever been. Um, in fact, there was one participant who had a cousin who was um, in a different country, different time zone. But now because we are doing this via Zoom, she could tie in. And so um, that opened up the window to say, okay, there's there's a different world out there. But also what it did was the community that we were working with, they don't utilize the social media as, as much as other groups do. And so we kind of lost touch with, uh, with our original group. We had six parks at that time, over 400 participants, and we tied them in for a little while, but they created the in-person, they created mm. the connection. To the interaction. People, yes, that they were not getting on Zoom. But yet there was this other population that liked Zoom. And so we ended up um, running the virtual program for two years. Um, we just ended it this summer because we said our students are, are going back to the park. Uh, they are having to offer that program. And uh, we're finding ourselves stretched a little bit thin. That's been a downside of the pandemic in that um, student involvement has been very difficult to acquire. Uh, students are staying at home. Um, even as we have been going back to school, uh, they're not engaging. And, and you know, you can see it on the internet. They're not engaging in a lot of things. And so there's going to be a challenge in these years forward to re-engage this particular uh, population, which then is, a, is another story that we can go into. But we went, we pivoted, we acquired a new community. Um, we learned a lot. Um, some of our students dropped off. They don't engage well in, in that uh, virtual community, or it was one more virtual meeting they didn't want to go to. Um, but we picked up some new ones. And then this fall, um, we came back into play and said, okay, we'll come back equipmentless. Uh, but the students that stayed with us during that period of time now became the leaders when we went back in the park. But the difference was, was they had never been in the park. Mm. Um, two years had gone by and, you know, with the students graduating. And so, uh, we, we, it's kind of like you have 
all your infrastructure in place and then it gets blown up and then you have to start all over again. And they had habits that were developed from the virtual program, which are different than when you're in person. Um, so it's, it, but the, it's a great lesson. It's a great lesson for me. It's a great lesson for our students to have to keep adjusting, you know, to be flexible. Yes, this is our mission. Yes, this is what we want to do. Um, but now we have to do it differently. And even just this last week, we started implementing equipment again. And you know, right now it's, well, we just got this other system underway and now you're throwing in equipment. We've never used equipment and equipment with you know a degree of sanitization required. So these are the experiences that I think our students are, are learning um, intimately, but mm -hmm. also without realizing that they are learning this information and that I know that they will be benefited years down the road um, without even knowing where it came from. So again, that's that benefit of getting out of the university into the community. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, saying, and, go, no, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think the challenge then is, as as you know, we've identified is 2008 um, fiscal activity guidelines, 2018 second set of fiscal activity guidelines with with not a whole lot of change, not a whole lot of encouragement that we are making impact and going virtual, coming back to the parks, losing six locations down to one again, building back up to two, it is that we've got to do something here. Uh, hey, the, the message is the same as I had in, you know, in the early 2000s, which is we've got to do something, you've got to do something. But um, my view is that it, us as a profession have to do something. We've got to take this seriously, uh, that it's a problem. Um, if nothing else, my concern is obsolescence of the field, obsolescence of the profession. I mean, who do you keep in business that hasn't been effective for 20 years? You know, if you look at the data, we're 20 years now and not a lot of change. And so the thing that helps us survive is probably university moves slow. Uh, university is slow to recognize that, you know, asking that critical question, well, where are your alumni and what are your alumni doing? And uh, so we exist, but will we exist for the next 30, 40 or 50 years? I think we have to catch up with the times. Um, if we don't start to have an effect as a profession, and so, as I said, we have 700 plus kinesiology departments. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, can they run a program like ours? Well, as we talked about, it's certainly not a financial issue. But what I found out when I tried to do the expansion, because um, in 2013, we did win the uh, Let's Move uh, video challenge that Michelle Obama put on of programs in the community, faith-based organizations. And I thought that was going to put us on the map. Honestly, I thought, okay, let's get all the CSUs involved. This is a program recognized at the White House. Uh, let's do this. And I found out that you've got to get at least one faculty member. And that faculty member must be motivated by either their research or their internal um, drive 
to do something public health related. Uh, giving them a grant was going to be the same thing as a grant would out at the park, because that when the grant goes away, that faculty would go away. Mm. So there has to be someone that at each university that takes on uh, the cause of public health. We're not saying that every department must take it on. There must be one person because the rest of the faculty, by the nature of our construct, we have many sub-disciplines, um, biomechanics, physical education, um, the adapted, disabled area. We have many different areas and they have been trained and educated. And their goal is to further their research or their interest in their subdiscipline. So I'm not saying that has to change, but we have 1,600 students, and they don't all engage in those other research projects. Right. So as a department, can we say we have a focus on population physical activity? We got this faculty member who can oversee this program. Because there still needs to be faculty oversight, even though it's a student-led project, because there's these things that have to be, get done, uh, the red tape that has to be um, accomplished. And if we can, then we can give all of these students that professional development, the ability to apply their education. All of that can still occur. But the other thing that we need to do is adjust our curriculum so that our students become knowledgeable about many things. Yes, there are people that need to teach personal training, group exercise. There are students that need to acquire leadership skills, but also what they need to understand, if we're going to be effective, is they need to understand the business world because not all of them are going to stay in the profession. They're going to come here as a kinesiology major. They're going to leave here and maybe they become a physical therapist, a nurse, um, maybe they get out of the, the, the major entirely and go into business. So they not, must understand the business world. Uh, they need to appreciate government, politicians, because some of them could become politicians. Right. So we need to give them this full, well-rounded education so that as they leave our field and go into other areas, that now we start to embed this background that they had of, oh, I learned about the importance of physical activity, and now I'm in corporate. Well, let's have a corporate wellness program, or I'm a politician, you know? Right. Where, where are our physical education programs? I hear there's childhood obesity. What are we doing down at that level? Um, what are we doing in terms of a, a built environment, a walkable city? We need to have our students inculcated in the knowledge necessary and the importance of physical activity. So as they move throughout society, that we have these people sort of planted in all of these different areas. Yes. We all speak the same common language. That's what we need to change in terms of departmentally or in the university. But that can be done fairly simply because we discovered Zoom and we discovered mm -hmm. its capacity so that as you, you're on this podcast, you could have a, a Cedric Bryant, a, a leader in the field. You could have a person from the Physical Activity Alliance, SHAPE organization, ACSM, conduct Zoom lectures that 
can be sent to all 700 plus kinesiology departments. So you could have a keynote class, one as they come in as a freshman or a junior transfer, say, here's the big picture. Here is why you're important. And that you may not believe this as a kinesiology major at Cal State Northridge, but you have the capacity to change the world's health. You have the capacity to change your entire city, entire community. That gets offered in that freshman class. And then there's this senior level class where, okay, some of you aren't going to stay in the field, but we've introduced you to business concepts. We've introduced you to the importance of um, voting and why that can make change because a lot of our students don't vote. But then it's the university right. bringing voting into the university where, oh, it's so handy. I go, go into the gym and, and do my voting. But we need to indoctrinate all of that without changing the overall curriculum. Because you being the uh, you know motor behavior specialist, eh, I'm not really into public health. I don't want to go out to the parks. Well, you don't have to change what you do. But departmentally, we change our focus so that we, we provide service. And that, there's an element of teaching service. There's an element of having students work in underserved communities and expose them that um, even though as you go to the university, there's others that can't right. and exposing them to the, to that bigger world. So I think without a lot of change, we can make change and that would be radically different than how we normally do things, which is, well, we need to change the curriculum. Well, you know, getting all the, the faculties like, you know, the, what is it? wild ducks or trying to get them in one place mm -hmm. and do the same thing. Uh, we're not talking about a mass curriculation, a curriculum change or a two, three, four year process. And then of course, in the university, you have new faculty who are coming in who, you know, aren't indoctrinated. You've got to have some kind of focus and the focus can be physical activity, but yet that doesn't mean everyone else cannot do the rest that they do. Um, but the profession has to get together as a group and say, we value, we value our place because recognize that in a given university of 40,000 students, we're the only classes that are talking about physical activity right now. Nobody else really is. And then you don't have to implement a three wins fitness model, implement what works in your community. I would advocate that this could work in every community. I would advocate that um, I could bring in our nutrition um, faculty or their students, which we have. Um, public health, we brought in their students. Um, we teach them how to implement the exercise program, but then they bring in a little bit of their public health knowledge and they give a presentation on public health or on nutrition. So now it's not just kinesiology, although kinesiology can be the galvanizing point. Right. It is really bringing in other parts of the university so that um, we can educate people on other facets besides physical activity. Right. So that's the call to action. Right. It's, it's getting people, doesn't matter where you're at specifically, but if we all have a mindset of physical activity is important, doesn't matter what piece of the pie you're coming from, or we, we can all make that a reality for everybody. Yeah, because you you know even if you're 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 exercise biochemistry, you know, and you're very very cellular, 
the reason why you're doing that has something to do with the organic human being, that person that has to live and manifest those changes that you're investigating. So keep doing that because the the profession has to advance. We need to move forward. Uh, We need to make ourselves better, but let's still pay attention to why we're here and keep that person moving so they can benefit from that further research that you're doing. Right. You know, there's, there's a missed opportunity, I feel. And, and th- maybe this it was like this when I was younger or little. I'm talking about elementary school. And um, I c- I'm speaking out of ignorance because I don't know how I can just go off of what my kids talk about when I ask them about school and they say they had P.E., you know, what in it's usually a game or something. But I remember when I was in gym class, my teach my P.E. teacher telling me, hey, sweating is good. You know, that's a good thing. So regardless of you know what i know now that you can still get a good exercise without sweating in my mind it's like oh i'm doing something good for myself you know and i feel like that's a missed opportunity especially for our younger generation to really understand why exercise is important because it seems like a lot of it now is just playing a game which is extra good at physical activity and exercise but they're not being taught why they're doing it i guess the pendulum swings. Yeah. Um, who is teaching your physical education class? You know, what generation of knowledge and exposure did they come from? Um, do they recognize, I'm sure they recognize this, is that technology and, you know, everything handheld and the games that, that people play um, are something we didn't have to worry about. You could just throw out a ball which was not a good thing to do, just throw out the ball and let them right. play. That was, that, that's not a good thing. But yet um, I drive by this middle school and what they're doing is not good either. And outside of my office, I have a high school um, field that they, they play on and their skill sets are not good because you have to learn those basic motor skills. If you can't hop, skip, jump, twirl, have those basic skills, then you become a low-skilled adult who's not going to engage in certain activities because you don't have the skills developed from your youth. And then it's that whole world smaller thing again that that starts to come into play. So you're absolutely right. You know, the the change starts at the beginning. Um, But we have that. We have that capacity within our our departments, our field of We've gotten siloed. Uh, everybody's doing their own thing. Uh, but yet you got to remember that we've got this army of students that are there that can benefit from developing those soft skills. So critical for them, no matter what direction they go. Uh, doesn't matter how book educated, how hard skill educated they are. If they shoot themselves in the foot in the interview, you know, there goes the there goes the 4.0 uh, right. person can't person can't speak can't interact so it's this whole package that we have the opportunity to provide and the the, the challenge within the university is that we we're not a private company we don't say we're going to make this change everybody get on board right you've got you've got 20 10 20 30 faculty all been trained differently different times coming in and um you know, no, I'm, I'm not really on board with that. I kind of like what I'm doing. And so does change occur. 
this was not by design, but I got my undergraduate education at Northridge. So we're talking mid-70s. I got my education there. And there are some things that are the same. And, you know, you're talking in 50 years, some changes have occurred. If nothing else, this public health crisis, right. we need to figure out a way to address it. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Loy, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I, I truly appreciated it. Anybody that's listening that wants to learn more about Three Wins, um, about you or even any um, organizations or universities that would like to implement this within you know, with what they're doing at their, where they're at, where can they find you and where, where can they reach you? They can um, go to our website, threewinsfitness.com. Um, Instagram is at threewinsfitness. They can reach out to me via email, Stephen, S-T-E-V-E-N dot Loy, L-O-Y, at csun, C-S-U-N dot E-D-U. So Stephen dot Loy at csun dot E-D-U. Um, I encourage you to reach out. I will respond to you. One other thing I want you to look out for is on October 29th, uh, October 29th this year, we have the San Fernando Valley Mile. And this was designed as an event to have a public health approach. Uh, we have uh, support from Anthem Blue Cross, uh, the city of San Fernando. And what we're doing is a one mile straight shot down McClay Street in San Fernando. And why one mile? Because the entry bar is one mile, which means you can walk it, you can run it, you can run it fast. We will have different heats and that the public health approach is that on Saturdays, we have started a program where every Saturday people can bring their kids. So this one is open to kids because we're gonna have a kids division and that these kids need to enjoy movement. They need to understand, uh, they need to get in good physical condition, not necessarily by running, but by playing games, red light, green light, that'll get the job done. Right. Um, and that we are, Having this every Saturday, uh, we have connected with a, it's free again. Um, we have a connection with Vargo Physical Therapy. They are out twice a month. Uh, they offer free physical therapy, so you don't have to go through your provider. You, you start running and feel a twinge. Okay, there's the physical therapist. They'll give you the prescribed exercises to work on. Um, different park system is working with us, LA County Parks. Uh, ACE, again, with Cedric is uh, involved. And Fleet Feet um, in Sino and in Burbank, they're offering, they come out once a month. They offer shoes to try on. They offer a coupon for discount. So I think Three Wins is a, is a connector of multiple entities, all with the understanding that, you know, this is something free we're offering to the community. Uh, we have a group, Bras for Girls, up in the state of Washington. Um, we're going to be recruiting a, a group of middle age, not middle age, middle school um, <laughs> girls, um, this is a time in their life when oftentimes they start to reduce their participation in exercise. Changes in their body are occurring. And um, so this is going to be an opportunity. They'll get a bra from bras for girls and they'll train with us. And then working with them as Angel City Elite, this is a group of um, elite uh, marathon runners who will demonstrate what they can do with physical activity, what they have done. Um, they have participated in the uh, marathon. 
uh, the Olympic qualifiers. And so I think uh, I encourage people to reach out to us. Like I say, there's all kinds of ways you can implement a program, but we got to start somewhere. Um, I hope your your viewership includes every university uh, that they hear you and say, well, how do we get this done? Um, and we'll have that conversation of how you can get it done in your particular area. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, again, uh, Dr. Lloyd, thank you so much. And I'll have all that stuff in the um, description of this episode. So if anybody is looking, um, just click on any link and they'll get you to where you need to be. But um, again, one, sorry, one last word, one last word. Yes. Hopes and dreams. Two last words. Hopes and dreams. Engage in physical activity. What do you hope is going to happen? What do you dream would happen? I want you to start thinking about mm. that. And 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 then where do we start? We'll start at the beginning, start at the basics. Hopes and dreams. That's that's good. That's that's good. Simple, but it's it makes you think. Well, that's thank you. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast. And everyone, thank you for listening. I'll let you next time.